Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. I think that most of us would probably be in agreement that in much, many parts of our lives, we see people intentionally trying to cloud issues, change things by appearing to say and do something that is really, really good. They are deceptive. They are hiding behind things, trying to get us to agree, trying to create an undercurrent and an undertow to cause problems in many different aspects. We're talking today about a phrase flipped from this morning, nothing is everything, and tonight everything is nothing. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you have the outline, it's on the back of the outline. But there are a couple of quotes. In fact, if you don't have the outline, you're probably going to have a hard time following this first one, to be honest with you. But that illustrates my point. Here it is. In the beginning, which never began or ended, there was nothing and everything, and it was good. There was also something which was empty, but it brought potential. Potential had friends, rest, and action. Action spoke first, and it got heated. Everything was on fire, and it got real. Eventually, rest calmed everything down, and everything chilled out to the flow. Rest got tired and laid down. As he laid down, he turned to shape and form. Shape and form looked back and were just glad to be. Nothing and everything. Watched the whole thing go down. Everything said to nothing. Why did we invite something again? Anybody care to repeat that? Now, that's not a fictional story. That's a presentation of a man who fashions himself as a guru of thinking tied to New Age philosophy. Now, I've read it four, five, fifty times trying to figure it out. I went further in his little document, and here is hidden in something else he said. Here is at least an understanding of where he was going. The creative matrix of the universe is more about potential and 
continuous creation than it is permanent fixtures of deterministic reality. Sounds pretty funny too, doesn't it? Let me make it easy for you. He said, there really isn't anything other than what is. And it's always been. Continuously creating. Continuously molding. How did we get here? Not because of some great act of creation by God, but rather it's just the continuous flow of thought and philosophy and things moving forward. It, there's potential but there's always going to be potential. We're going to get better and better, and it'll just continue this way from now on. There's nothing real, determined, absolute truth. Hmm. I would ask him, is that absolutely true? There is an undercurrent attempting to dislodge the foundations of things that we know to be true. We are bombarded constantly by things that try to undermine what we believe, what we understand. Ron and I were talking this morning, and I shared with him this observation. You remember this? When you've heard those who are advocates of the Darwinian philosophy, the Darwinian theory of evolution, what do they say to Christians when they take what they call evidence and they talk to Christians? What do they say? You all don't like science. You are opposing science. Think about this for a minute. That same group, that same group is pushing for us to understand that you can be whatever you want to be. He, she, we, it. I saw an advertisement for the business thing LinkedIn. And on that profile of the ones they showed, and of course, I don't know anything about it. Uh, Danny and I are on the same social media thing. That LinkedIn profile, the ones that I saw, had the person's name, and in parentheses, the pronouns they would like used about them. Those same people who criticized us for opposing science, look science square in the face and say, if that woman thinks she's a man, she's a man. But science says, no, that's not right. You can say whatever you want, but there really is deterministic reality. There are truths, there are absolutes, there are things that absolutely are. And messages like what I read 
are an attempt to sound good, to sound brilliant, to sound wise, and undermine what we understand to be absolute truth. Maybe there's a Bible illustration about that. Matthew 21. Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. And as he was going, he found this fig tree over there. And the Bible says it was a fig tree of leaves. And he went over there to get something to eat. When he got to the tree, he found what? No fruit. And he did something that sounds like what God should not do. He looked at that tree and he said, Cursed are you, let no fruit grow on you from this day forward. Come on, Jesus, give me a break. It's just a tree. He did nothing except by intention. What was he telling his disciples? You see, the fig tree, apparently, in my reading, the fig tree did not have foliage, flowers, leaves without having fruit. In other words, this fig tree had every appearance that it would, in fact, have this wonderful fruit to provide nourishment. And getting over there and finding nothing is exactly what this guy's statement was all about. It might look good. It might sound good. It might sound intelligent. You might be able to get, quote, smart people to agree. But it doesn't change the fact that it is actually empty, worthless speech. That's what it is. So, let's look at the positive side. This morning, nothing is everything, but everything is nothing. Look at that verse, if you have it in front of you, from Proverbs 13. I will remind you that I am looking for your favorite Proverbs, which I am putting under the heading of a point from a proverb. And we're going to look at those from time to time. Notice how everything, nothing is everything and everything is nothing, is actually true when you look at it properly. There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing. Everything is nothing. It's just a fact. If you look out here, the rich man said, I want everything. And it was actually nothing. And one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. Properly speaking, nothing is everything. When I consider this world as nothing, in order to have what God wants, nothing is actually everything. Now, I'm not trying to hide it in some kind of 
language that will confuse or distort or trick or deceive. This is just real. This is what God wants us to understand. And when I have a proper view of what's going on in life, I'll understand these two phrases very well. Go to 1 John chapter 2. Here's another passage that probably is very familiar to you. It's a passage that speaks to us because we live in a world that is guided by the phrase, well, everything seems to be everything. Everything out there just seems to be something. How many times have you walked into Sam's or Costco? And right there at the door, they have the best looking, finest televisions around, right? And they're tuned to the best channels with the best color. And you go, I want one of those. You walk into the phone store. And they have the newest phones, the greatest gadgets, and they will make your life so much easier. You can do things so quickly. And I want one of those. It's like we're in a trance. We're hypnotized. Everything seems like everything. This passage starting in verse 15 helps us to understand everything. When I talk about everything, I'm talking about the riches of this world. I'm talking about the world. I'm not talking about the spiritual side of things. I'm talking about the material side of things. And it sure seems like everything is everything. We just had a great conversation with our shepherds in the congregational meeting. And we had some things that came out of that that sort of fits this, doesn't it? I mean, wow. Adding on to this facility seems like everything. Maybe not. Physical things, material things, they are inviting, they are alluring, they are intoxicating. But here's what they say. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Everything that seems to be everything has an intoxicating draw for us to sacrifice to get it. The word love here is agape. He's not just saying you have a friend relationship, phileo. He says you've got a commitment, sacrificial relationship. The things of this world want us to sacrifice, want us to commit, want us to get on board. That's what Satan wants. He wants us to buy in. That's the intoxicating draw. And this intoxicating draw says, come on. And it does remind me 
of a hypnotic state or a sleepwalking where somebody's just... Everything says, give to me. Come get me. Verse 16, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, not from the Father, but is of the world. Everything seems like everything. It has an intoxicating draw that says, don't you want to come have some fun? That's what lust is. Lust says, I want it. I need it. It feels good. It takes away the pain. It hides the problems. I really enjoy it. And it seems like everything. That's what an addict would say. It's everything. What they are pursuing is everything to them. And they do sacrifice everything to get it. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. There's an intoxicating draw to everything that says you need to do it now. Now. Don't wait. Jump in. You wait too long, it might be gone. After all, they've made a good offer. They reeled you in. You better jump in. Make the commitment. Feel good now. Why does everything seem like everything? Because it makes me feel good right now. And I'm willing right now to pay the price. Everything seems like everything. But obviously, that's poor thinking, isn't it? It's poor thinking. How does God want us to think about it? Everything is nothing. If we will accept what God says about nothing. If I will let God tell me what nothing is, then I'll be able to say, oh, if that's nothing, well, I don't want it. I want everything. When God says what nothing is, it helps me to say, okay, I'll take everything. For instance, in Matthew chapter 10, and at least three other places in Scripture, 
Carol, one of the scriptures is wrong. <laughs> Jesus said, there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. Nothing secret that will not be made known. Here's the problem. We get drawn in by the attitude that says, but I want to know. I want to know every detail. I want to understand. There's nothing wrong with trying to understand. Nothing wrong with trying to figure out. But there are some people who have the attitude that ends up this way. If I can't understand it all, then it's not understandable and I don't want any of it. I don't want any of it. The problem is... You don't discard everything just because you don't know something about it. Because there are some things you do know. I mentioned this morning, I think it was in class, I don't have a clue how the inner workings of a cell take place. I don't have a clue. I read Darwin's little black book, supposedly by many, the answer to the Darwinian evolutionary problem. It's called the little black box, I believe it is, because it puts Darwin in a box he can't get out of. That's the point. And this guy scientifically went so deep into a cell he lost me. Except in my mind I'm thinking, this is cool. Because he said, inside and deep inside the cell are these little boats that have propellers on them moving around. Now I can understand that. I can't figure out how to get it inside of a cell, but I understand that. But I don't understand it. And since I can't understand every cell, do I just drop everything I know about creation? Do I just drop everything that I know scientifically is true? That's what they're saying to do. They're asking us to do that. And God is saying this. Nothing right now that is hidden is going to remain that way. You'll know. You'll know. My job, act on what I know now and be excited about what I'm going to know later. Don't just drop it. Because really, everything is nothing. So what if I don't understand everything? That's nothing. But here's everything. I know God. I think that's a pretty good place to be. Number two, here's what God said about nothing. He said there is nothing that comes into your body that will corrupt you because it's eliminated. But what corrupts 
is what's in the heart. What gets to the heart and comes out, that's what corrupts you. Statements like I read at the beginning, they're not appealing to a heart. They're clouding the mind so as not to understand. God appeals to the heart. He wants you to understand what He wants you to understand. I know what Paul said to Titus in chapter 1 and verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the one who is defiled is nothing pure. God says, nothing over here in this physical realm really can corrupt you unless it gets in your heart. That's why we are people who live in the world but we're not of the world. We're around the world, but the world doesn't need to be in us. And if you're like me, you have a struggle going on like that. You have a struggle about the world trying to worm its way in. And one of the ways it does it is by saying, this is not going to corrupt you. This is not going to be a problem. When in fact it damages the heart. And God knows it. And he says you better stay away from it. Don't get fooled. But finally third in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And verse 14, God said through the wise man, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men may fear before him. Here's what God says about nothing. There is nothing you can add to what I'm doing. There is nothing you can take from what I'm doing. It is everything to accept that there is no thing that I can add or take from God. That's everything. And the wise men knew it. He knew it not only because of the teaching, but because he chose to find it out by setting aside what he already knew. He lived the concept of nothing is everything like we talked this morning. See, when I understand, when I understand what God is saying, everything really is nothing. It's saying there is nothing here worth anything in eternity. Nothing. And that's everything to have that understanding. It's wrapped up this way. Without faith, 
It is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know what faith is? Faith is accepting that everything is nothing. That's what it is. Faith says everything that's here, nothing. Because God says he is everything. Faith is saying, okay, God, I don't know everything. I don't understand every detail. It doesn't feel good. It costs me a lot. I have to work very hard. But I'm willing because I want an eternity with you. That's a correct understanding of what Paul, of what God is saying. I want to close with a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I like how Paul put this as a challenge for each of us. Now, admittedly, he's talking about the apostles. He and his he was one of them. You remember they said, Lord, we've given up everything for you. What are we going to have? You know, they were talking about the physical side. Paul understood that there's more to life than that. But at the end of all this dissertation, you can go back to verse 3 and you can read down. But I just want to catch verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 6 describing who he is. And he said, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. Chew on those words. Think about what he said. He said, we're poor and yet we're making many rich. How does a poor person make somebody rich? Because he really has something. Paul said he was poor, he had nothing. But he really had everything. And he could pass it on to those who would listen to him. Because he said, we have nothing. But he didn't. He said, we possess all things. What things? All things that God wants us to have. We possess it. We have it. Here it is. And that's good enough. Everything is actually nothing here. And nothing here is everything at all. We're trying to learn to be people who are in the world, not of the world. And in the slang words that we sometimes use, it ain't easy. I fight it. I know you fight it. But that's one of the reasons we get together. Because when we're together, whether it's here, at the fellowship meals we have, at a youth event, working on the property, in a Bible class, visiting someone who's sick, 
having Bible studies in home with somebody, it doesn't matter. Think about it. In those events and in those times, isn't it easier not to let the world get inside? You know, if we could spend our entire lives in fellowship, service, ministry, worship, we wouldn't have a problem with the world getting in. We wouldn't. Sadly, we can't do that. Because we have to work. We have to take care of our families. God expects that of us. So it's going to be tough. We're going to fight. We're going to have problems. But we can figure it out when we get this straight. Let's just keep encouraging. Let's keep being patient. Let's keep working on it. And one day, it'll all be clear. And we will go, yeah, it really was worth it. Anybody needs help tonight spiritually? You can call, talk to us anytime. Our shepherds are always available. David and Jack and I are always available. We're ready to help. But maybe you need this church to know that you are in need of our help. Maybe you're ready to obey Jesus in baptism or to obey Jesus in moving in His path. We sing, encouraging you to respond if you need it. Let's stand together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.